the club expects their golf pros and their assistant pros to make sure everything's perfect. We want a club pro that can play like Tiger, teach like Butch, uh, merchandise like Ralph Lauren, and tell jokes like Bob Hope. But it is absolutely the problem is the amount of pay for the amount of work doesn't mesh. For clubs, if you don't make these changes, you're not going to get the people you want. Your product is going to suffer. People are not going to want to come play there. They're going to go elsewhere, and you're eventually going to go out of business. Is Seth Waugh helping? He's the right guy in the driver's seat. But is there a vehicle he can drive that can make it any better? People are put on earth to make everybody's lives better, right? Like, how can you not want to be surrounded by those people, right? And um, and that's what a PGA professional is. You know, it's not perfect. We're not perfect. I'm far from perfect. We're moving the needle, um, making a lot of progress. And uh, I hope people are, are noticing it, but that's not the point either, right? The point is, is leaving the room better. And, and I'm going to keep fighting to do that every day. Another log on the fire Nobody here is getting tired Welcome to the Fire Pit with Matt Janella. Back for episode four of this series of the Club Pro Crisis. In episode one, there was some context and history of the Club Pro, and there were some baseline issues that were identified and discussed. Here's Robbins Manley of Breckenridge, who, after 20 years as a PGA professional, left the industry and got into real estate. I don't have the perfect answer, but but it is absolutely the problem is the amount of pay for the amount of work doesn't mesh. Episode two was a deeper dive into where we are now. Here's Butch Harmon. This is where we are. This is where we have arrived at this position now. And there are so many golf pros in the country today head pros they can't break 80 they don't really know how to teach their their job is to sell shirts and hats and stuff and and clubs in the pro shop so the club can make money on it and they're paid a salary to do that and maybe a small percentage of it well that to me is not a golf pro that's a clerk that's the a golf pro is a guy that that handles all the teaching and clinics and everything the men's association women's association the clubs have taken all that over committees run all those things now and but yet the club expects their golf pros and their assistant pros to make sure everything's perfect everything has to be run right we need this is what we need to do you go to uh apply for a job today and you sit down with a committee that's that's doing the interview and they're, they're telling you this is what we need you to do this is this is the pro we, we want this is what we want from our pro fine what are you going to pay me well this is what we're paying to go really you want all that for this And that sounds cruel, but that's reality. And episode three was discussing some possible solutions. Here's Shane Ryan, again, who wrote the story for Golf Digest in May of 2022 entitled The Club Pro Crisis. Yeah, in terms of fixing it, you know, the really interesting thing I found when I started this, I thought it would be a money thing that, you know, they weren't making enough money. That's really not the case. You know, some head pros make really good money. Uh, Money for assistance even has gone up, you know, quite well in the last five to 10 years. The problem is time. The time is the thing that's killing them. And especially for young people, either who are still in the industry, but thinking of getting out or the ones who did get out, 
they're looking at the head pros they worked under who may have had the dream job, right? That they said, this is where I want to be. And what they see is that that head pro never sees his children. That head pro got divorced. He's an alcoholic. He's depressed. Whatever the case is, they go, even the dream job is, doesn't look good. It's, it's kind of terrible. And so time is the critical issue. So you need to, instead of paying your assistant $20,000 more and your head pro $20,000 more, you need to hire another assistant, which is more expensive, right? But that's the thing. More people is the only thing that reduces the collective hours that everybody has to work. And the solution is simple in that sense, but not simple for these clubs to actually do because it is a obviously a budgetary cost. Is Seth Wall helping? You know, I, I think the PGA of America is doing absolutely everything they can. I, I left thinking that, you know, they they understand the problem. Um, I, I think there's a limits to what they can do. I, you know, I, I think they are. They're not a labor union, um, but they are providing mental health uh, counseling for people. They have, you know, tons of programs to try to get people into the industry. And I think, you know, in terms of the consultancy stuff, when they're hired, I think they are spreading the message to clubs that these are the changes you should make. So I, I think their heart is in the right place and they have the best of intentions. And I think they are doing good. But I think that just by the nature of their organization, you know, they can't wave a magic wand and, and change this overnight. And this is why I'll go back to Seth Wow. He's the right guy in the driver's seat. But is there a vehicle he can drive that can make it any better? Is he driving a Volkswagen or is he driving a Mercedes? You know, is, well, what can we do to make all of this better, to make it make make the game better, make it better for all the people involved in it? I don't know. Before we get to my conversation with Seth Waugh, the CEO of the PGA of America since 2018, I want to thank a few sponsors who make this podcast possible. Let's start with AG1 by Athletic Greens. Nutrition made powerfully simple. You've seen the ads and thought, what is that? It's your daily supply of nutrients and gut health. I drink it in the morning before a cup of coffee. This is my answer to trying to stay healthy and active. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash fire pit and you'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free packs of AG1. And then there's Dormy Workshop, an incredible golf family business based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where all they do is make quality leather head covers and accessories. I found the Bishop Brothers at the PGA Merchandise Show almost 10 years ago. I've been promoting their people and products ever since. Go to dormyworkshop.com and use promo code FIREPIT15 for 15% off your next purchase. Or go to the pit shop at firepitcollective.com and order one of our Dormy gift boxes, which includes a new fire pit head cover and matching stash bag. Plus, you get a sweater, hat, and t-shirt. Okay, time now for my conversation with Seth Waugh, CEO of the PGA of America for the last five years. Waugh is the former CEO of Deutsche Bank, and prior to that, he was the CEO of Quantitative Financial Strategies, and he was the co-head of Global Debt Markets at Merrill Lynch. In other words, the man knows a lot about money and leadership. He's incredibly well-connected and respected in the world of golf. He's a member at some of the most prestigious clubs in the country, and he worked with the PGA Tour to create the Deutsche Bank Championship in Boston. He met his current wife, Jane, on a driving range. Waugh has five kids, and one of his sons, Clancy, played at Wake Forest and SMU. Under his reign as CEO of the PGA of America, Waugh has created a member-deferred compensation plan, a retirement program for his 28,000 pros. The program was deemed a heavy lift and a huge success with an aim at improving the lives of his membership and to help in an effort to recruit new members and or retain current members. 
Waugh, who's 65, has also been at the wheel of the move of the PGA of America headquarters from South Florida to Frisco, Texas. It's a 600-acre piece of land with two championship courses, a lit par-3 course, two-acre putting course, an omni resort, and a 106,000-square-foot building, which has an indoor golf performance lab and interactive exhibits that inform visitors about the history of the PGA of America. This was a $500 million partnership with Omni Stillwater Woods, the City of Frisco, its Economic and Community Development Corporations, and the Frisco Independent School District, and they already have on the books 26 future PGA of America championships. In one article in the PGA of America website, Waugh is quoted as saying, I think it's one of those very few cases where the reality is better than the dream. Which brings us now to the reality of the club pros in which, for many of them, has looked a little more like a nightmare. This is my conversation with Seth Waugh, which took place last October. So keep that in mind when I get to the question about Liv. I know you're busy. I really appreciate you taking this time. I got into some hot water on Twitter because I was in a podcast and someone asked me, what are you excited about? And I said, oh, we're doing a docuseries on the Dreamers, these mid-level tour pros who are risking everything to... Uh, to chase the dream of playing golf professionally and earn a living playing golf professionally. And I said, you know, it's there's something wonky out there because the the pool of people who can shoot 65 on any given day is getting bigger. The pool of people who can earn a living playing professional golf is getting smaller. Uh, I said, you know, as opposed to the club pros, you know, so in some cases can't break 80 and they, you know, they, they, they can make an earnest, they can make an honest living out there, you know, making a hundred up to 150 grand a year where these club pro, these dreamers are, are going backwards 80 to a hundred thousand a year. Well, it was a bit of a throwaway line. I shouldn't even have included a, a comparison to club pros, or, you know, um, but I was just trying to show the example of even, yeah. you know, and then well, that clip got cut out. It got put out on Twitter. And I got like an onslaught of negative negativity from Club Pro saying, first of all, I don't make 150 grand. Second of all, I work 80 hours a week. Third of all, like, you know, and I was like, well, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. I'm not trying to pick a fight with Club Pros. Yeah. I was just triply trying to, you know, this got clipped. I said in full context, I, I talked about Club Pros for 45 seconds in a one hour podcast. I was talking about you know, mid-level tour pros and what we're doing as a docu-series. And I said, welcome, but, yeah. welcome to Twitter, man. <laughs> yeah, no shit, right? But, but what ended up happening, Seth, is I I did get, you know, there was 5% who just got really personal and nasty. And I was like, oh my God, I can't even deal with that. But, but then I did listen to a lot of people who were like, hold on, you know, Club Pro has, the, has their own grind, you know? And I was like, hey, I, I, I hey, fair. You know, just like superintendent, like the agronomy aspect of the game too, right? And I said, maybe this is an opportunity for me to learn more about club pros, more learn more about what's going on. And so, obviously, you know, I've now interviewed upwards of eight different club pros, giving me their all different perspective. And I've got Shane Ryan coming on, and I got all these different voices. And I thought, you know, obviously, you being you and where you sit, uh, this is a great opportunity to hear from you. And I. And I wanted to start with, you know, and I know you've told me this, but I'd love to hear it again. Why did you feel so inclined to jump in here and try to help, you know, PGA pros? Why did you feel the desire and need to like get involved? 
Yeah, well, look, I, you know, my, you know, my background, Matt, but I, I you know, I come from the son, a son of a couple of teachers. My father was a teacher and a coach. And, you know, I thought that's what I would do, frankly. And somehow I found myself on Wall Street and spent, you know, 35 years there and, and have zero regrets and had a great run and, and a great experience. I'm really glad I did it. And, and then I got asked to do this. And I, you know, I was very comfortable. I was a I was a partner at a ec- private equity firm and, you know, had a, a really, you know, interesting job and a great trajectory. And I, and I kind of took a gulp and said, look, I'll never have a chance to have more impact on more lives than this, right? You know, golf, despite the fact that I'm not particularly good at it and I, and I you know, came to it later in life, I played a lot of other things. Um, it's been, you know, other than my family and my friends, it's like the biggest impact, you know, the, the biggest influence in my life. Like, I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't know, you know, I can't remember the last relationship, deep relationship I have that didn't have something to do with golf, either, you know, met him through golf, him or her through golf or, or um, you know, cemented a relationship or, or whatever, right? And, and so I, I think it's perhaps the greatest engine for good on earth. And, and I mean that, you know, charitably and all those numbers are mind boggling. Every other sport borrows our sport to do that. It's everybody's, not everybody's, but most people's second sport, people fall in love with it. The relationships, uh, the, the lessons, the values that you learn, the time you get to spend with your family, the places you get to go. Um, I don't know what I'd do without golf. Right. And so here's this game that's given me so much asking me to, you know, give back i was very honored very flattered and if you think about the pga of america like we're the largest sports organization on earth we've got twenty eight thousand men and women that are out there you know touching people um and my belief is that if i can kind of make twenty eight thousand lives better i can make millions of lives better i we mm-hmm. you know it's got nothing to do with me really but we can make you know millions of lives better right through this incredible game um and so that that's it, you know. It's it's pretty simple, and I, and it's not like I'm some you know angel or or saint. It's it's um, it's selfish. Like I, 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 it makes me feel good to make people's lives better. It's like I don't know what could be more fulfilling. And so for me, it's kind of full circle. I've kind of come back to being a teacher and a coach, if you will, in some ways. And you know, I learned a few skills in in my years in business that are applicable and. Um, I hope. And, and, you know, um, I just, I I feel like, you know, this organization should have the most, should be the most balanced, um, most informed organization in the game because we touch it at every level. First shot you hit, whether it's junior league to the Ryder cup, um, you know, men, women, seniors, uh, veterans, you know, all our, our, uh, our foundation, which is doing incredible stuff. You know, the ability to turn, you know, make the game look more like the rest of the world. So maybe the rest of the world will behave a little bit more like the game. I mean, the possibilities are get up every morning and you get, you know, 50 things that you can do to try to leave the room better. You found it. And that's exciting. And, um, and again, a gift to me, you know, I mean, to the game that I get a chance to try to leave the room better and, and impact those lives. Where does it stand in terms of your progress of having an impact on these twenty eight thousand people? Well, look, I, I hope we I hope we've had an impact. I, I think we have. We've certainly moved the needle. I think, um, you know, again, I wanted to make those twenty eight lives better, um, and that continues to be, and that that will be forever. You know, I have this image that someone once told me that the Golden Gate Bridge is never they're never stopped painting it. Right, so I have this like image of 
guy, you know, finishing the last brushstroke and picking up his bucket and walking to the other side and starting all over, right? And, and I think, you know, the, the good news, you know, this look, this is a perpetual institution um, that is for, you know, to make our members' lives better and to, you know, leave and, and grow the game and make the game better. And so that'll never stop, right? Because you got every year you got to raise the bar in, in, in a variety of ways. Um, and the principle, you know, sort of remains the same. Uh, but we've, you know, first I'd start with, you know, what we've had to deal with, right, which was COVID and, and you know, sort of, you know, because of my career on Wall Street, I had to deal with a few things like 9-11 when we lost a building um, and some lives and, and you know, the financial crisis. And so they're all, you know, different in how you respond. But, you know, the, the, the principles are, you know, getting everybody to the other side, right? Like, how do you how do you figure that out, whether that's, you know, families in 9-11 and, and a business in 9-11 um, or, you know, trying to repair an economy that's hopelessly broken um, to, you know, how do you keep everybody safe and, 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 uh, uh, and those that are most in need, how do you, how do you bridge them to, to the other side of it? Um, and so, you know, that, I, that's, um, you know, I don't want to say rewarding, but it was, you know, I think it was put in a place to try and, you know, help when, when it was needed. Um, but in terms of priorities, you know, one of the things I'm really proud of is we've created a deferred compensation plan, which will create, um, you know, and will be in place next year, which uh, is 100 years in the making, if you will. We figured out how to how to create a way to um, uh, to uh, you know compensate uh, our professionals uh, in the form of deferred compensation for uh, for um, tasks that you know that are beyond the call of duty. Like I can't pay a teaching pro more for, for giving lessons, but I can um, give them pension points, if you will, for, uh, for coaching a junior league team or a women's clinic or whatever it is. And so, you know, hopefully we're creating a nest egg, you know, so many of our pros are out there without a safety net, right? There's no way to create wealth on their kind of, um, uh, you know, making a living hopefully and surviving, but hard to sort of accumulate any wealth. And this will be an ability to, um, to do that through the power of compounding, we're giving them small sums of money, smallish sums of money every year that that compound over a career, uh, and you, you know retire with something that that is uh, significant. So, very proud of that. Um, I'm proud of how the game has grown. I, you know, obviously everybody wants to give COVID credit for it, and I think that's true to a certain degree. But, but I, I, uh, I also think we were pretty intentional about how we reopen the game and. Both on the professional side of things, we were the first sport back, the first one back on TV. And from a participation standpoint, we worked with the CDC and, and Dr. Fauci to create kind of, um, you know, we I had this concept, this kind of uh, belief that we could be part of the solution as part of part of the problem, right? And, and you know, so we got to Dr. Fauci, who got us to the CDC, and it was, okay, how do we, you know, at its core, uh, in the height of COVID, um, you know, people needed outlets. They needed to do something safe and, and you know, for mind and body. Uh, and I said, you know, if I'm carrying my own bag on 200 acres, like that's pretty safe, right? And uh, so we started out that way and, and you know, 10-minute um, intervals, don't talk to anybody, don't touch the flag, all that stuff that we that we did. Um, and then as it staged, it would sort of, okay, let's, let's add carts and then let's add a halfway house and like whatever. So we did this thing back to golf and rallied the, uh, the industry around it, which has evolved into, you know, make golf your thing, which is an industry wide 
effort, which we've kind of championing to uh, to both grow the game and diversify the game um, for, for what I talked about before. And we have, you know, 120 people from uh, all the golf bodies, uh, the equipment companies, you know, Top Golf, et cetera, et cetera, all those sort of entities that have bought into this industry-wide effort to do that as opposed to, you know, the, the uh, individual efforts by each of those uh, industries. So I'm, I'm proud that we've kind of brought the industry closer together in, in, in lots of ways, which I think is to the benefit of, of everybody. I mean, it, you know, if you think about it from a business perspective, if you were setting up golf today, you wouldn't set it up in the way that it, it looks, right? You wouldn't have five different bodies, whether it's USGA, the RNA, ourselves, the PGA Tour. Um, it all kind of makes sense, but they used to view themselves as competitors, and now we view ourselves as partners, kind of the board of directors of the game that are you know, going to work together to 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 make it better. Um, and, and so I'm proud of how we've helped to unify the game. Um, you know, and, I, and I'm proud of the growth. I'm, the, the game looks very different than uh, ever used to. It's getting younger, um, you know, for the first time, maybe ever. Uh, it's starting to, you know, the two fastest growing cohorts are, are women and, and um, people of color. Um, you know, that's that's good. We've got a lot more work to do there. I don't mean we're declaring victory. Um, so I think we've put a lot of things in motion. And I think, you know, we tended to be, um, you know, sort of a, a – uh, an institution that was protecting kind of our grandparents' game as opposed to making it something for our grandkids. And so the innovation uh, aspect of it, I've lived in a world of disruption and I think you either get um, either disrupt or you get disrupted or you get run over and, um, and that's going to happen. And, and we're seeing it in a lot of different ways in the game right now. Um, but the opportunity to, um, to be a part of that change, to embrace that, embrace golf in every form, um, you know, whether that's top golf, which at first was viewed as a threat, and now is viewed as a partner, as a gateway, um, and, and that sort of mindset and, and innovative mindset is something uh, that's really uh, key to what we're, we're we're trying to do. And then you know, trying again in the aspect of trying to make our members' lives better. Like you know, our guys are tired, right? Like this is you know, it's been a great run, um, amazing. You you, it's exactly what we wanted to. This incredible bull market. Um, but they're not necessarily benefiting from that in, in the way that they should, right? Like in, in a bull market, everybody should do well. And I, and I don't mean our pros are, are doing less well, but they're working, you know, longer hours um, with just as many or fewer resources. Uh, and I think what's happened in our game over the last, you know, whatever, 20 years, let's say, is the game has uh, gone sideways, uh, maybe even shrunk a little bit is that the, the thing that you could squeeze was kind of your your people um, kind of aspect of it, right? Where you kept investing in the golf course. You had to have a perfect, you know, Augusta-like, you know, conditioning. Uh, the experience was getting better, the F&B, kind of everything around it. And the one cost aspect you could you could kind of squeeze was, was you know, the, the people. And those are our, our people. And, and so we really – you know, as the game has grown, we haven't added, in most cases, it's not true everywhere, we haven't added um, any more resources. So everybody's just working a lot harder for kind of the same amount. Um, and um, that, you know, and again, these are broad generalizations. Obviously, it's not true at every facility. And so we're trying hard to sort of tell that story that, look, if, if you're going to, um, you know, this is great that you've got this boom, but you're also going to need to have to add resources. Um, and 
And so we're trying to build a pipeline. We're trying to educate facilities as to what that means. There's been a number of articles kind of written about it, um, which, you know, I think is, is you know, I talked about it at our annual meeting last year, kind of shouting it from the rooftop. And we've done that. And, and I think it's having some effect. And, I, and our, um, uh, our compensation levels, are, are, which we track every year, are going up um, to a certain degree, but probably not quite enough yet. Uh, and we're getting you know, a little bit bigger pipeline at the universities through our PGM programs and other things. So we've got some green shoots, but there's still you know, a lot of work to do there. And so that aspect of, again, making our pros' lives better is, uh, is really important and, and getting, changing the mindset in the industry of, of um, you know, taking advantage is probably too strong. I don't think they're trying to do that, but it, it um, um, you know, our, our guys have service hearts, right? And, and guys and women have, you know, service hearts and they're out there trying to please and um, create a great experience. And, and therefore they're working, you know, if they were working 70 hour weeks, a lot of them are working 80 hour weeks because, you know, sheets are full and, um, and that's just what they do is, is kind of survive. And, we want them to thrive rather than survive, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Someone said it to me that, you know, tour players or professional golfers could be considered takers. PGA pros would be considered givers. What do you think about that? I think it's really well said. And, th and that doesn't mean that every PGA tour player doesn't give because I do think they give in other mm -hmm. ways. But I, I think – you know, again, my parents were teachers. I, I think that's the soul that our folks have, right? They're they're service minded. They're they want to make people's lives better. They're pleasers, um, and you know they're trying to take something they love and give it to everybody else. And and if you already love it, they want you to have the best experience you can have, right? And you know, I think to be a competitive golfer to a certain any athlete, I shouldn't make it golf. You know, there is a sort of selfishness to that in some ways, and. And you have to be in order to compete at, you know, the highest levels. And it um, doesn't mean you're not a good person. It just means you, you know, you're, you're, you're out there um, betting on yourself and, and, you know, eating what you kill. Right. And, um, and so, you know, these, a lot of these guys are amazing friends and I don't, I don't mean to, you know, I'm finding myself in a trap where I'm sort of, you know, disparaging tour pros because, you know, they're some of my favorite people on earth. So I, I don't mean to, that at all, but I think there is a different mindset of, of um, you know, you, you know, eating what you kill as opposed to you know cooking something for somebody else to eat, right? And and I think that's that's what it's or you know, hunting and gathering to to feed people, right? And I, I think our people are feeders and you know feeding of people. Is this really just kind of an awareness issue? I think it's I think it's an aware. Look, we you know our twenty eight thousand are members, but they don't work for us, right? Like we're not you know we work for them. Uh, in fact, it's reverse, and so you know I can't pay them more, but I can try to get people to pay them more by having them understand, and then having them realize that they're not an asset, they're not a lever you can pull. They're people, right? Who have kids and colleges and tuitions to pay and and car payments and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And, and, um, and they work, you know, in a great industry doing something they love, but, but ungodly hours. Right. And it's a little bit, you know, of um, too much chocolate ice cream, right? Like it's great until, you know, you have, you have too much of it. Like people say, well, do you play much? And go, no, I'm in the industry. I don't play at all. Right. And it's kind of like, well, that's crazy. Like if we can't play, like who can, 
right? Like, so I, I think it's a matter of freeing our pros up to do what they love is just to play more, play with members, play with guests, play with, you know, with, um, if you're at a municipal course, play in a, you know, a skins game or whatever it is you do, right? Like how else are you going to, you know, understand your customers better? And I think, you know, you know, Augusta's given us a lot of lessons, a lot of things, but, and I'm told um, that Jack Stevens um, always had two head professionals, which, you know, is true today um, because he realized that he always wanted somebody there, but he realized if, if there was only one of them that, you know, they, they weren't going to have a life and they weren't going to last very long. And so he always had two to, mm-hmm. to sort of, so somebody could be there and somebody could go to their, their kid's soccer game. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's really smart. And so I, I think, you know, people got to realize that the crisis right now is a crisis of lifestyle and work balance and, you know, and inflation and all the things that are going on for our individuals. But the real crisis is for the facilities, right? Because if you burn these folks out, um, there, there isn't, you know, we don't have a pipeline right now. That's because, you know, young people coming into the industry are looking at it and going like, well, that's going to be my life. Like, so I'm going to work really hard and be an assistant and, you know, live in a, live in a dorm room. And then, you know, 15 years from now, I'm going to get that. And that's the reward. Um, there has to be, you know, something that you're working towards. And then it's just like, it's all passion. People aren't doing this to get rich. I don't, I don't mean to say that, but, but they do have to have a life and do have to, you know, be able to create a great life for their family. And so, uh, you know, if, when you're choosing between, you know, resodding a fairway and, you know, and hiring another professional or, or paying the one you have more, you got to, you know, that's, that's what the decisions have to be made. And I think the facilities have to understand that, you know, we had a demand problem, um, you know, sort of pre COVID or it was, it was on the rise a little bit anyway, but call it from the financial crisis till 2018 or so. Um, And now we got a supply problem, right. Um, And they're equally problems like, you know, in COVID, you know, we had a demand problem that turned into a supply chain problem because of all the issues around it. That's what's going on here. Like I'm, you know, I've been in markets my whole life, and and something's got to give, right? And so, you know, to, how do you cure supply and demand? Well, if there's an undersupply, you're going to sort of pay more, and you know, and create more supply. And and I just think I think we're under resourced and probably undervalued um, as a profession, and and that needs that needs to change. And and I think awareness is the beginning of that. Um, and then the reality of dealing with it. And we're seeing that again, I'd say there's green shoots people, you know, I'm asked to speak about it a lot. I've spoken at, you know, various um, kind of, you know, whatever it's the MGA annual meeting to, you know, um, of club presidents, that kind of thing to talk, talk about it. And, and so I, I hope, I think we're having an impact and that's what, like, that's our job, right? We're a fiduciary of a perpetual institution and, um, and um, we need to, you know, make sure that as a national entity that we can do certain things to, to, um, to promote the game, promote our members. And, and there's no bigger um, crisis from our perspective. That's our crisis now in the industry, in, in my view. Um, it's not a demand problem. It's a supply problem. Is unionizing an option, Seth? Um, you know, I, 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 I like to think that, you can do it without that. I mean, I'm not a, not anti-union, but, um, I think, I think, you know, I am a, I am a markets guy, right? Like I, I believe in supply and demand and 
markets, if you have a free market, they correct themselves. And, um, and so I'd rather have that be the solution than, than some, you know, um, you know, some sort of manufactured solution. Um, I just think, Mm. you know, owners need to, need to take care of their assets and their assets, biggest asset in any industry I've ever been in any business anywhere or it's people. Right. And so, um, making sure they're valued properly, um, is, is the first step, right? Is this fun for you? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, my wife, Jane, might have a different answer <laughs> than mine because she watches, you know, it all go on. But it, um, uh, I love a challenge. I, I'm much better if I have 20 things going on than if I have one. I might get a little little sloppy and lazy if I only have one. If I have 20, I know I have to kind of um, go at them all. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm pretty good at having fun. But, I, you know, I... It's, it's probably the most fulfilling job I've ever had. Let's put it that way. Um, and it hasn't been without its challenges. And, you know, we're a, we're a, uh, have historically been a little bit of a slow moving institution and we're trying to pick, we need to pick up the pace in order to deal with a lot of these things. And, um, and I think we're getting better at that. I've got really good people that work with me and, you know, the, the rewards um, are the sneaky ones. Like everybody says, Oh, you know, you're handing out a Ryder cup trophy or whatever. Oh, that's cool. That's great. But like, you know, the day to day when you bump into a, a professional somewhere who recognizes you and says, Hey, thank you. You're doing, I really appreciate what you're doing for the institution. Um, or going to our PGA works championship where, you know, we, it's essentially the HBCU, uh, you know, national championship, which we've taken over and see, you know, having a workshop and seeing the hope in those kids and, and, and what you're doing. I'm going to the junior league national championship this week in Scottsdale at Greyhawk and you know, just seeing those kids out there. So it's these, these moments that aren't on TV, frankly, that are the ones that, that keep you coming back and the people that you meet, I mean, are, you know, we talked about it already, but like, uh, you know, our people are put on earth to make everybody's lives better, right? Like how can you not want to be surrounded by those people? Right. And, um, and that's what a PGA professional is. And it, uh, you know, it's not perfect. We're not perfect. I'm far from perfect. Um, uh, you know, if, if even competent and, um, but we're, you know, I feel like we've, we're moving the needle, um, making a lot of progress and, uh, I hope people are, are noticing it, but you know, um, that's not the point either. Right. The point is, is leaving the room better. And, um, and I'm going to keep fighting to do that every day. The Shane Ryan article specifically highlighting all these different examples or or these people's stories. And I've heard from a lot of people that you meet with small groups from time to time or invite groups and, and try to get feedback. Is is that sort of part of your process is just listen? You doing a lot of listening, obviously. Yeah, look, I've never walked in their shoes, right? I, I've been a member of great places. I know a bunch of, I knew coming in a bunch of amazing pros, some of the best on earth, right? And I've been lucky enough to be around them. And, and, um, but I'm trying to understand, you know, every, um, you know, walking in everybody's shoes. So, you know, the, 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 I, I try to be with as many members as I can be with um, in every forum to, to understand, you know, what their life is like and how do, how do we, how do we make it better? So, you know, I, I have always had this belief in business that um, even running a bank, which I was lucky enough to do, like it, it's no different than running a restaurant, right? Like you, you gotta be out there and, 
and um, and see what the you know the customers are ordering. Like, is the you know is this is the steak medium rare and and the salad cold? And who's on the cash register? And you know what's the experience of your of your customers, right? And so I always try to spend fifty percent of my time with clients uh, when I was at the bank because that was how I got to know what was going on in the markets, what my you know what what we were serving, how good our people were. Uh, and what they needed, right? And so, I think it's the same thing here. Like trying to be out in the field and 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 experiencing it and understanding it um, is the only way that you can really. I mean, I can have a theory around it, but but I've also got to have a reality about how how it works. So, mm-hmm. I invite it all the time. And you know, if somebody stops me to talk, I, I you know I'm late for my next meeting because I feel like. Um, that's the most important thing to do at that moment is is learn from that that person and particularly if they have issues you know we uh, and and obviously during the, the you know the COVID crisis was it went from you know oh my God we're shutting down to you know how are we going to make a living to okay we reopened it that's awesome but now our pros were like wait a second we're frontline workers like nobody else is going to the supermarket and yet we're out here you know servicing people and putting ourselves at risk. And so how do we make them safe? And then how do we, you know, get the game to come back uh, in the way that we did? And then how do we deal with, you know, this incredible boom that has happened? Because I think, you know, we were intentional about bringing the game back. And and I think, you know, all of golf's, you know, sort of uh, not all of them, but a, a lot of the sort of um, barriers became positives. It's like, okay, takes too long, right? Well, Maybe that's okay. <laughs> like maybe, maybe I do need a you know four hour walk. Um, and uh, and you know it's it's outdoors and like that's a good thing. And uh, you know so it it um, I think we flipped the prism on the game. And I think you know the greatest thing about what's going on right now, Matt, is um, the game has had its ups and downs for sure. But for the first time in its 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 history, golf is cool. And golf's never been cool, right? And um, and that's awesome. And, and we need to make sure we continue to promote that, right? And you have all these different ways to consume it now, right? You have Top Golf, you have Putt Putt, and all kinds of different forms. You've got you know simulators. You've got and I, again, I've always believed like you know if you go shoot hoops in your backyard, you played basketball that day. It wasn't five on five with refs, right? But it was. It was it was hoops and um, and so you know if you putt on your carpet today you played golf and um, and you know and you took a you know check out your swing in a mirror it's like you played golf that day and we got to embrace it in every form we possibly can par threes you know three holes you know hitting balls on the way home like yes like we're for all of it every day anything that is good for the game is ultimately good for our professionals and. And, um, and so we're going to promote it in every way we can and, and celebrate it in every way we can. Uh, we're trying to create, you know, a digital platform that, you know, that um, becomes a kind of, you know, digital highway for our professionals um, and something that are, you know, that I'm not even sure they know they need yet, but like we got to create it because that's, that's where the puck's going. And, uh, and so we're going to keep trying to, you know, um, you know, be forward thinking and, and innovative and again, create the game for our kids, kids, right? I've spent a lot of time promoting superintendents because 
in my mind, I'm kind of a superintendent at heart. If I wasn't, if I didn't get a job at Sports Illustrated, I was going to go to Penn State Agronomy School. So I've always, and I grew up with a club pro who was kind of a dick. You know, he was kind of <laughs> played head games and took golf away from us, free golf. He was like, he was like, he was squeezing us. You know, it was scary. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it wasn't a good guy. And and so I think that probably had a little impact in sort of yeah. my perception of the end. You know, like oh, that guy's just working yeah. everybody to the bone and not giving any. You know. And yeah. uh, and he wasn't a good pe- he was a good people person to the members, but not to his staff. Right? There's there yeah. a difference, right? Some people can yeah. do. Sure. And I just think for whatever reason, maybe that was a subconscious sort of gap for me. And yeah. now I'm now I'm learning a lot. Well, it's sad, you know. I, again, I'm father's a teacher and coach, and my kids have had you know a variety of coaches. And I think the worst thing that a coach could ever do, you know, as a coach is is drive somebody away from a game <laughs> like you know I, when i coached little league or whatever it was always like i'm going to coach the worst kid because the best kids can be fine right they're going to figure it out and the worst kid i want to keep him in the game or her in the game for as long as i can and and i think you know the best pros are that right the, the best pros and back in the day you know if you think about a small town like who who was the center of that town there was like a doctor and a lawyer and a you know, and and probably the you know chief of police and and the high school football coach, and kind of the golf pro, right? Because he or she could hit a seven iron, and you wanted that magic sauce, right? Of of how does that work? And by the way, they were surrounded by you know the, the, probably the most influential people in town because those are the people that play golf, and so you know they they were the center of kind of you know uh, one of the centers of of the universe in in these places and. And I think that's been lost because it's become a business, right? And, and like everything else, you kind of everything's transactional now as opposed to relationship. And and you know we need to somehow get back to that. I, I you know this is off the subject, but I, I sort of feel like you know gratitude is being impl- replaced with entitlement, right? And and that is really scary because gratitude is what you know makes societies work, and it's what like creates civilizations, right? And and why we have cities and and um uh and you know if we if we lose that um and just assume we're entitled to something like i should be able to hit a seven iron like no you know you gotta you gotta do the sit-ups right you gotta, you gotta like you know you're gonna have to figure out how to hit a seven iron and that's the beauty of the thing but um anyway let me yeah. get off so a little bit no i i uh, thanks again for all this i i not not on subject, but I, I just can't help but feel, and I know you're in the middle of this whole storm too, but I, based on just all that you say and, and just kind of agents of change and dis- disruption and, you know, I got to feel like you're out of this fight, right, as in terms of live and the tour, right? I mean, I feel like why would the PGA of America, I my sense is, let it all shake out, but your focus is on your membership, right? Like it, would that be, would that be fair to say like, you don't want to, I, yeah. I mean, why? No, would you- I think, well, look, I think that would be short-sighted, right? Because um, at the end of the day, I'm for the ecosystem. I'm for all things that are good for golf. Yeah. If I thought live was a superior product and they were really delivering something, I might actually embrace it because it would be good for the game. Right. And I don't think it is, right? I think it's getting away, you know, certain, I think that the product that they're putting out and, you know, 54 holes and shock and start, like all that can all, you know, sort of argue one way or another, but I don't think it's superior. Like, I, I don't think like that 
that's you know game changing in and of itself. And as I said before, like I, I've lived in a world of disruption. I believe in disruption. I, I invite disruption. I used to run an exercise at the bank where you know I'd say, okay, let's assume you know we're going to do an MBO of ourselves. So we're going to own the like. What would we do differently? How would we make ourselves more efficient? Where what will we cut out? What will we emphasize? What will we do? Because if we don't do that, somebody's going to do it for us, right? Um, some outside influence is going to do that. So I think, like at the end of the day, you know, live is, is strangely a, a backhanded compliment to the game, right? Because for the first time ever, it's cool. First time ever, it's big enough that somebody really wants to disrupt it and and come in and and take advantage of you know being a fat and happy game, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a criticism of the tour; it's a criticism of the whole game. And mm-hmm. so. You know what does disruption do? It either runs you over, or you make yourself better, and and that's what has to happen. And by the way, you know, okay, so yeah, day to day, I'm focused on exactly what we talked about, right? Like, is the game, but twice, you know, twice a year in the form of the men's game, you know, or once every other year, and and then you know, in the form of the Ryder Cup and in the PGA Championship, like, you know, we're the center of the universe, right? And and those. If you think about five waterfront properties, the four majors in the Ryder Cup, in the men's game anyway, we own 40% of them, right? And or not really because we own half of the Ryder Cup, but, uh, but you understand my point. And so, yeah, I care about the ecosystem because my fiduciary responsibility is to, is to you know, ma- take a perpetual institution and, and put it on a better course, not somehow put it at risk, right? And, and our... You know, we're able to do all that we do for the game because we're lucky enough to have assets. And, you know, the KPMG women's, the men's senior, like a lot of those things, which allow us to do, you know, all these other amazing things like the PJ Works Championship and where we're trying to endow, HB, you know, HBCU golf programs uh, around the country because we have that platform. Um, Junior League, again, I talked about, which I think is the coolest thing in golf and one of the great golf, you know, uh, engines in the game for growth. And and so I've got to be thinking about all those things. Like, how do I protect those assets? Because without those assets, we're not we're not functional and we're certainly not perpetual. And um, so, yeah, we're we're not in there, you know, like Jay every day going hand to hand. But am I, you know, thinking about it and having a lot of conversations, doing everything I can to, uh, you know, leave the room better than I found it a hundred percent. And, um, and, you know, I, I've spent an enormous amount of time on it and I, I think I still will. Um, but I, I'm hopeful in the sense that, you know, if we get this right, and, you know, I spent a lot of time talking to players and the Tigers and the Roars of the world and, and, you know, and others and trying to figure it all out so that we can, um, you know, learn from this and make ourselves better rather than, you know, uh, get destroyed by it. Quite a dynamic time. I, <laughs> yeah. Again, I think we have the right in you. We have someone who's obviously uh, incredibly, uh, you know, have, you're well positioned to have a, an incredible impact in so many ways and shapes and forms. So uh, whatever I can do to help you or support you, I, I, you know, I'm always, I'm always in, I'm a I'm a fan and in the fan club of of your vision and execution and your style and you know so it's cool. Um, keep going. Godspeed, Godspeed, <laughs> Seth Wall. Jesus, well, it takes it takes a village, man. 
<laughs> but you know, if you if you you know if you're going to play football, you tackle football. You, you, you gotta play tackle football. Like you, otherwise, you're playing in traffic, right? And and so get your uniform dirty and and hit and be hit. And um, and this tackle football, like the whole you know this whole. And I don't mean just live. I just mean the whole thing is right. And so if I'm in, I'm all in. I'm not gonna. You know, you can't. <laughs> the guy, the, the guy that's afraid to, you know, get hit is the one who's going to get hurt, right? Mm. Amazing. Well, give my best to Jane, and and thanks again for this time, Seth. I really appreciate it. Um, I know, I know you're going a mile, million miles, but uh, in a lot of different directions. But thank you for this. So, oh, uh, good man. And thanks, to, brother. Great to, to see cross, you. Hope to cross paths soon. Absolutely. Look forward thank to you, it. Seth. See you, man. Thank you. Next up, more on the future of club pros. You know, one thing that Tom Wallace told me is that when you find boards with younger people, uh, you know, the golf club boards with younger people, they get it more. So it's a generational thing a little bit too. And I think that, you know, obviously we all get older and that's going to change with time. So I think there is hope for sure. I, I think it's a hard situation and there's reasons to be pessimistic. There's reasons to be cynical, but I, I do think there's reasons for hope as well. And we talked to Brian Soule, a PGA professional and an assistant teaching professor at Penn State's PGA Golf Management Program. 55% of PGA professionals are 55 years or older. So there's an old school mentality that I think was perpetuated forever in this industry. And I'm hoping that, that, that the changing of the guard allows for the younger generation of PGA professionals to say, you know what, the way we've always done it isn't right. We need to change it. And I'm excited for that. I think that that you're seeing some young minds come into the industry that are that are fighting for, you know, for some more balance. I think that's a really good thing. And episode six is all Susie Whaley, who, after 102 years, served as the first female president of the PGA of America. When you're saying all that, are you are you directly referring to women? Are you referring to women in golf? Are you referring to women in golf? Or are you referring to PGA, you know, PGA pros? Are you like, or is it kind of all of it? Like you want? Yes. To, yeah. <laughs> yes. You just forgot the media. <laughs> that exactly. is the bucket in there too. And yeah. um, and again, I, I look at this. It's not a. It's not a. It's something that I'm passionate about. It's not something that I'm saying negatively. It's just, I think, you know, I think a lot of us are just tired of saying we're grateful for the opportunity. And yeah, that's where women come in, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with hearing about why don't more people watch the LPGA? Well, where are we supposed to watch them? You know, where, where are they? Where are we seeing them? I mean, I, if you look in the paper, it won't, if they're in it, if you look in any digital publication, not the paper, that's how old I am, any digital publication, right? Any, any Twitter feed? I mean, does anybody know who won the last three LPGA events? Like, like honestly, like it's, it's, it's actually appalling to me. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily intentional. I just think it's our culture in the game that needs to be changed. Um, when people talk about the game, they talk about the professional men's game, right? When I have conversations with my juniors, I always say, who's your favorite female player, right? My juniors now know that. Right. There's so many young girls playing and so many boys now watching women's golf. But but I don't understand why we're not seeing it more. And why is only five percent of media publications on women's sports in general? Why is that? That's just a question. Right. For people that and be, look, 
And that's where I get all the heat on Twitter. Like people will write me back a thousand reasons why, right? But none of them make any sense. Like the re- like that doesn't mean make sense just because you like to watch men's. Okay, good for you. I'm glad you watch men's sports, but I watch men's sports and women's sports. And some of these are from women. Like women need to watch women's sports. This isn't all on men, right? We all, we all just need to participate in it. And so I think when you ask me, what is that all about? You know, it's about making sure that the next generation has it better than we have, right? The next generation doesn't have to fight so hard. And I'm here to tell you in golf, women have to fight really hard. And there is space for women and there is space for junior girls in golf. We shouldn't have to fight this hard. Another log on the fire Nobody here is getting tired With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Com slash compatibility.